What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I'll be hosting today's episode. And I'm joined by one of our therapists at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance, Brett Furstel. For those of you that don't know, Brett runs our ACL recovery program and most of our post-op knee surgery recoveries. He also leads people through our entire return to play process. Today, we're doing a kind of specialty podcast talking about ACL injuries, particularly trying to talk to coaches that might have an athlete coming back from ACL injury. So we dive into what the return to play process looks like, what a return to sport test battery should consist of, how we should reintegrate players back into practice and games slowly, and why that's important so that the players can actually have success and stay healthy for the long run. So this podcast is really geared for coaches, but if you are a person that is going through an ACL injury or a family that's going through an ACL injury, there will still be a lot of information that's beneficial in this podcast as you start to make your return to play and return to practice decisions. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. My name is Michael Falk, and I'm joined by Brett Furstel, and we are going to be talking about kind of a coach's guide to ACL rehab and return to play. Um, there's a couple of reasons that this is really timely. One, uh, my wife Lauren is going to be actually giving a presentation to a large group of soccer coaches here um, within a couple of weeks, and so we wanted to kind of create something that could be a resource that we could share off of her talk. But as she was putting it together, we also realized just how much room there is to help coaches with more education in this. And that's maybe never been clearer than um, Brett, who's joining me now, has recently gone through some um, kind of conversations surrounding return to play with some of the athletes that he supported through the ACL rehab. And there's just so many misconceptions about return to play right now from the just overall like sporting world and sporting community. And it isn't necessarily in the best interest of the individual athletes. And I think that, um, you know, there's maybe nothing more frustrating for, um, for like the athlete themselves, but definitely the team that supports them. than like, you know, we've all, and the athlete, most of all has been working for the last nine or 12 months to like get back to that spot. But the most important part of the rehab is actually that, ACL return to play or that return to play process and if you try to rush it or don't respect some of the reasons behind the things that we're doing and the recommendations we're making and kind of make all of that nine months to a year's worth of work like not you know end up with a poor outcome so um, yeah we're really excited to put this together and hopefully give coaches some some things to think about maybe some tools, some good questions to ask, just some more education in this area so that um, we can all help work together to help these kids get back on the field and, and perform safely and at a really high level. Mm-hmm. So any other thoughts on uh, on that before we get started? No, I'm just really excited to talk about this because like, as a PT, this is the bread and butter of what we do. But working with these athletes as we bring them back, they're part of a whole team. And it's not just me or the surgeon or one individual that helps them get to that point. It's the athlete, it's us, it's the athletic trainers, the sport coaches, the strength coaches, everyone who's a part of the whole sport culture is a part of bringing them back. And the best way that we can relate together and communicate with one another and understand each own's roles and responsibilities and our shortcomings too. I think the better that we can help all of our athletes and then they can stay on the field. If they are there, keep playing and be healthy. And the ones that are returning can have a smooth transition and hopefully never come see me again for the same injury. 
because the athletes that tend to be the best are the ones that stay healthiest the longest. And the teams that tend to be the best are the ones that usually have their best athletes playing. So when they're out, well, then that hurts the team as a whole. So the better that they can stay on the field or get back, I think the better everyone is. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. So let's just start with a broad overview of, you know, we keep talking this about this return to play or return to sport uh, aspect. And I think it's everyday language for you and I. And yeah, the most basic level, it's like, when an athlete leaves rehab and goes back and plays their sport, but it's really much more complicated than that. And there's um, more processes around that. And it's actually been studied. So when we talk about this, the stages of return to play, what are those stages? So I generally will break them up into three different stages. Um, first one is just a return to participation. Second one being return to sport. And then the last one, a return to performance. So return to participation is pretty broad and it can cover a lot of things and it can be even really early. So let's take, we take an example of basketball. That's what's in season coming up soon. Return to participation could be that someone is cleared to do certain drills within a basketball practice. That could simply be, I can ball handle by myself or I can shoot free throws or I can shoot three pointers. They are participating in the sport that they want to do, but they still have a lot of restrictions outside of that. So they are initiating the stage of being able to do their sport. Now that's different from an early post-op when they have a brace on, they're swollen, they're just learning how to walk. They really aren't doing much of that. Sure, they might be sitting and dribbling a basketball here and there, but that's, that's very different. So return to participation can mean that. It is part of the entire process as they're getting back to actually, in my mind, compete and play which will start that next stage of returning to play is when they're quote unquote fully back they are competing they are practicing but they maybe aren't quite at the same level that they were at before or what they hoped to be so for example if they were a starter on their basketball team and they were playing 25 minutes a game but now they're fully returned to play but they're coming off the bench they're the sixth man and they're maybe only playing 10 15 minutes they aren't fully back to what they were previously capable of. So now they're in that return to performance stage that they're really trying to get back their 100% and their 100% contribution to their team. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, just so important. And it's not a it's not a light switch. It's not one day or it should not be a light switch. Right? Um, if it, We're going to dive into this a little bit more, but it should be this gradual uh, progression over time that starts to allow the athlete to transition back where how do we know that they're ready to go back to practice? Well, I'm going to guess if they're like, if they were doing all of the drills other than playing five on five, that's a pretty good, you know, test quote unquote for us to say, Hey, the next obvious step is to start clearing you for live action. If you've been doing 90% of practice for the last four weeks, yeah, it's not unreasonable to start thinking that you're ready for that next step. Right. And so, uh, but it, it should not just be boom, one day you can't play basketball and then, Oh, because we hit this magic day, it's nine months, you saw the doctor, they said you're cleared, uh, now that now go back, have fun, good luck, you know, that's just not going to end well for anyone. Yeah, and I know I've been asked that a million times, and it's usually the first one, and it's how long are each of those stages, and I, I can't give an answer, because it's, it's up to each individual, the circumstances that they are in, being, you know, is it their senior year of high school, or is it their first year that they're playing high school or college sport, they're going to be different determinants of that and also different demands at that place too so all of those things play a role in the length of time of it um, the athlete actually being comfortable too if they've actually achieved certain benchmarks 
Um, so it, you can't say a certain timeline. It could be they get through that whole stage um, in a matter of months. It could mean it's a full season or more before they're fully back to that. So it's a wide range and it. It depends. Yeah. How, how can a coach help during that late stage rehab process or that return to play process? Like what's the coach's role and how can they be a kind of an ally and like a really help the medical team and that athlete get back and through those stages? There, there is a lot they can do. Um, it gets challenging because coaches have a lot on their plate. They have a lot of responsibilities for the whole team, the strategies they have, um, but they can play a very vital role in bridging this gap between being comfortable fully going back. Um, from the athlete's perspective, it's really exciting, but it's also very scary because they're going back to a thing that they were once injured and could not do. Um, so having peer support, that the coach is on their side, and no matter how long it takes, they're there supporting them throughout their journey, that's that's already one huge step. Um, because if you can show that you care for that athlete, they are probably going to put more effort into everything that they can do for you and for that team. So first, just support them. The second thing is is potentially having available times at practice or an openness to letting those athletes participate in certain drills and maybe not others. And I don't like to put that responsibility on the coach because it's not their job, but having an open communication with the medical staff, whether it's the PT or athletic trainer of, you know, what can my athlete do? What can't they do? And then listen to the PT or athletic trainer and their advice and then letting them do that is a huge part of it because part of this return to play process is graded exposure. So if they're not allowed to have that graded exposure, their smoothness of returning to full participation and performance is just a little bit more rocky. So if we can have that open communication, that's going to be a huge aspect. Um, and then the last one I'll kind of chime in on there is, is listening to the athlete that if, you know, the athlete was cleared to do five on five for the first time, um, and they go out there and you're clearing them to do it too. But then they either look really, really sloppy or they don't feel good. They're not moving well. They don't look like they used to at all. That can be a great spot for the coach to say, you know what, maybe let's take a pause on this and let's have you go in later or try these other things first so that you can get more comfortable, more exposure to these other skills that will help you in that situation. And, and that is something I think is a coach's job that if they see an athlete slacking off or not doing what they should, it's how can they intervene at that time to then help them gain those skills. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I think it's, it's just hard because a lot of these kids, they might have multiple years left, right? And, and they might not be able to help that team, quote unquote, that year. But if the coach is willing to be a little bit flexible and kind of allow the athlete to work themselves into it, they might have two, three or more years of high school still left to, to help or maybe even late in that season. Like, yeah, they can't help you week one or two or month one, but man, by the time you start getting towards the playoffs, things like that, maybe they are able to provide you some minutes. And um, I think the high school level is honestly the hardest with this. And um, when we look at the professional level, even the college level, and we'll just stick in basketball because we've been talking about that all all the way throughout. But, you know, at college, um, there's coaches, there's uh, strength coaches, there's kind of practice players that will be around. There's walk-ons that when a player is working their way back into shape, they might not be able to be in all of practice, but they will set up these environments outside of that to get these kids what they need so they can transition. 
in the NBA, I think the best example of this was uh, Clay Thompson, that as he was working back, he actually ended up going down and just practicing with their with the Warriors G League team for a period of months of just going down there and playing some of those players one-on-one after their own practice or jumping in their five-on-five games, right? And so in those in those situations where you've got all these resources, uh, it can be easier to set up these scenarios. For us, the hard thing is if we encounter a situation that there's an inflexibility where it's like, and, and this has happened before, it's like, well, they can either play participate in 100% of practice or they can't participate at all. And that really ties our hands because Brett's awesome at his agility progressions and trying to be sports specific with these kids, but we cannot mimic Brett's a good athlete, right? But he's not as good of athlete as the, the kids that they're going up against. Like we can mimic some scenarios, but we cannot mimic the exact gym environment. We can't, we can't go out there and play three on three with them or two on two or small sided games, right? We need that to happen during practice. And we've just run into this before. It's like, no, it's, it's all or nothing. And it's like, well, it's not safe to do all. So then I guess it has to be nothing. And it, leaves the athlete in a really hard spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a challenge, but hopefully this podcast and continued education will really help smooth this out. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm going to chime in on one more thing. I think the other thing, and it goes in with what Brett was saying, was communication is like feedback. Um, I worked with one skill coach and we were, it was a professional player um, and he was doing individual workouts and the skill coach would text me or call me afterwards and just be like, man, he looked great driving to his left, but he really would not push off his right leg or I forget which leg it was, but he'd give me this feedback that all of a sudden was like, boom, I know what we're working on in rehab the next time that that athlete's in and just having that seamless open communication, like a willingness to work in both directions. It allows us to really be an asset for the athlete and the coach to work on those things and Hopefully it helps the coach get that athlete back in the game quicker. So Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, so let's shift gears. So one of our least favorite things to hear ever is an athlete walking in and saying they were quote-unquote cleared to play um, or cleared. that They often don't even say to play. Like, hey, I got cleared today. Why is that insufficient information? It's insufficient just because it can mean so many different things depending on who you're talking to. Um, I've heard that plenty of times before that – they had a, a doctor appointment and they got cleared. Um, but that doctor appointment, when I asked, like, what did what did that doctor appointment look like? Um, it was a three-minute conversation. They did a single leg squat and they're nine months out, so they got cleared. Um, now, what does that mean? They got cleared to go back. Does that mean they can play in the five basketball games in this upcoming weekend tournament? Even though they just did a single leg squat, I don't think that tells me someone's ready to play. So there needs to be a lot more questioning and other things to help figure that out. Um, so there, there's a lot of details that go behind it. So I like to kind of just paint a picture of what clearance can mean to me so that other people have the opportunity to figure out, okay, that's not what happened with me or that's not what happened with my athlete. So maybe we should do a little bit better job digging in. Like we've mentioned already, clearing is a process. It's not one day I was in the gym lifting weights. I was doing some running to get my conditioning in. And then bam, I got cleared and now I can do every basketball thing. First of all, if you're going to get back to play basketball or soccer, whatever it is, you should have been doing things that look a lot like it to prepare you for little steps as you go along the way. So if you get cleared to practice in basketball, well, you better at least been working on basketball skills and probably even some like light competition, if you will, if that's what you're going to be cleared for 
to make sure that yes, you are ready personally and physically to do that next step. And then backtracking even further, what helps you get cleared for those things is hopefully meeting certain criteria, whether that's movement quality, it's getting strength tested, it's doing some conditioning tests, it's making sure you're pain-free, have full range, all of these check boxes we should check off before you get cleared to do those certain things. Um, so it's all a process. It's not just a black and white, yes or no, you were cleared on one day. Yeah. No, I think anytime, and this is going to lead into my next question, which is like, what should, so athlete comes into the gym, walks in, whatever, says, here's my note from the doctor, I've been cleared. Um, what should the coach ask? Like, what should the follow-up to that be? Because, you know, coaches are not medical people like they don't have the training that you do and just the experience so um you know to them it's like great here's this doctor's note like you're cleared so what should what should come next in that conversation i mean the first thing that comes to my mind is just talk to a person so ask like do you feel ready to play and if they hesitate or they say maybe you should know that they're not ready. When someone gets cleared to fully play, you want them at their best as a coach. So if they're hesitant on it, they aren't quite at their best. So you already know that something's in the way of making them say, yes, I'm I'm ready. And so other questions that can be asked is, you know, what have you been doing lately? Have you been doing your sport skills or have you only been doing running in a straight line and you're lifting things, which are great. They should be a part of it but it shouldn't be the end all before you get cleared to play. So what have you been doing recently? Um, another one that I would ask is like, how did you get cleared? Like what tests were done that helped whatever medical professional clear you? And if the answer was just a single leg squat or, you know, there wasn't really any tests, I'm just nine months out and I've done PT. Well, then there's still a pretty gray area. We don't know if you are ready because there was no test that helped tell us that you were. Um, and that in the PT world, there's a whole battery of certain things we do to help test different domains, which still isn't perfect, but it does do a much, much better job than just guessing essentially. Because if you don't test, you purely are just guessing that the athlete's ready to go back. And then we wonder why, you know, re-injury rates are as high as they are. And I think there's a lot of reasons behind it, but I do think that one of them is, is simply that, that not everyone does get tested to get cleared. They're just a pretty gray sure go back yeah no i mean i think it's just good as a coach's perspective right now some of the statistics in the literature are around the 25 percent it's going to depend what study you read um second injury which means either injuring the same side or injuring the other other knee following an acl so when this high school player comes up to you and let's say you have four high school players come up to you and say i i am cleared today like to go back, um, one of those is has, is likely to tear their same side or their other side. And um, it's just not, we can do better as a whole kind of industry, sporting industry around these athletes. Um, so I think the most obvious question that for me and I was, when somebody comes in here and tells that to me, I'm like, cleared to do what? Like, because, yeah. Maybe you're cleared to do part of practice or maybe you're cleared to do the drills or the warm up or like we will, Brett will clear players all the time. Like it feels like at the late stage, every other week or every other, at least once a month, they're getting cleared to do something else. 
They're getting cleared to run. They're getting cleared to do the warm-up with their teammates. They're getting cleared to do uh, the non-contact parts of practice. They're getting cleared to do half-court, five-on-five work. Ongoing. It's like they're getting cleared for something specific based on our testing. And no athlete should ever just come to you and just say, like, I'm cleared to do everything. I'm cleared to go play. Even once Brett clears them for games, they're cleared for a specific number of minutes and not playing games on back-to-back days and no more than one game in a day. Right. So like if anyone ever comes up to you and just like, yep, I'm clear to do everything. Like red flag should be going off. Like something is not right here and I need to uh, get more information or talk to this kid and their family a little bit more about exactly what's been going on. Mm -hmm. So why is it important for the athlete? We keep talking about having this graded return, not just going, not just one day, not playing one day playing. So why is that graded return to the field or court so important after an injury? It, it is really important. And the, the basic premise of it is, is graded exposure. So you're not going to go from being a couch potato to just running a marathon and expect that you're going to do really well and probably not have any injury. The same would go true to returning back to anything is this person started from ground zero probably had surgery, literally couldn't walk, couldn't move their leg, couldn't activate their muscles, and they have to go through a whole process to fully get back to play. And again, this is a process. So we got to regain motion, we got to regain strength, we got to regain power, skill, movement quality. That doesn't end at PT. It continues as you're going back through your sport is you need to just get this exposure of reminding yourself as an athlete, okay, this is how I move in this situation. I have to observe what's going on. I have to make a decision and I have to do the movement. And that takes practice and skill just because they've done it before, before they are injured, doesn't mean they know perfectly how to do it as they get back. There've been a lot of changes that happen both mentally, physically after an injury like this. So this graded exposure allows them practice to regain those skills, fine tune it, and then have success at the next step that they do. Um, The other reason for it is just going to be risk. So if I go right back to play and I'm playing a full, what are high school games now? 36 minutes long. If I'm in there for 36 minutes, there's 36 minutes of risk that I have potential for an injury. But if I grade that and start with, you know, 10 minutes and then 15 and 20, we are just reducing the time and risk that someone's going to get injured while we're still doing all of those other things. And then we slowly build their work capacity and their tolerance and fatigue to be able to handle that, and in theory, reducing that risk that it could happen. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, one of my buddies um, that he's been on the podcast before is a biomechanist out in Minnesota. And, you know, when we look at it, that ACL graft itself is strengthening for over two years, right? And so um, when he lays out these programs, sometimes he'll, he'll lay out minutes restrictions and gains restrictions for an entire season. And uh, the by the time, you know, the families will look at it and he had one family that was like, well, this is going to restrict her for the entire year. And he's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, cause if you look at it and I'd never thought about it in these terms, but they're at risk for two years after their ACL injury. So nine to 12 months of rehab, they get back. So they usually injured themselves at some point during the competitive season before they work, they get back for a portion of the next competitive season. We, kind of control their minutes during that year now they have a whole nother off season by the time it comes back to soccer or basketball or whatever it is it's two years and they're outside of that very high risk of uh, re-injury and to 
it's not zero, but it's significantly less. And so it, it definitely helps. And um, in your brain, as you're seeing these kids that have these restrictions, just be thinking like that ACL is getting stronger. Like every day that goes by that they don't get hurt again, like that ACL is getting stronger. They're continuing to improve. They're continuing to get, get better and uh, just be patient with them and, and help them through that and support them through that. Mm. Um, with that being said, one of our biggest struggles is everyone we we're it's super important for kids to have goals during this rehab process because otherwise um, it's just a grind and so we will start early with trying to pick something on the calendar to get back to Um, typically it's going to be a tournament but commonly we're running into right now it's getting back for tryouts um, which definitely understand like if your goal is to get back for the basketball season um, you probably have to try out. But why are tryouts so tricky from a return-to-play standpoint with these athletes? They're really challenging because in an example, like right now in the beginning, starting basketball season up, like you mentioned, usually they will have gotten injured in the last season. So as they're approaching this season, they're starting that rated return-to-play process. And usually tryouts are competitive five-on-five. Let's have them play and the coaches can observe skill sets and how each individual might benefit their team. But this doesn't allow that graded exposure for that athlete. And if they didn't have the opportunities throughout the summer to get that exposure, this is going to be their very first time. So one, you're already putting them in a challenging spot that they have not done this before since their last injury. And there's a lot of pressure of being able to perform well, play with the team. It's all new, brand new environment. And it's just a lot of things going on that is a recipe for disaster, both in the success of the athlete and potential for an injury too. Um, And it makes it really, really challenging to make a decision of what to do because basically the ultimatums could be, you know, you try out and you potentially make the team or you don't, or you don't try out because I don't clear you. And then what happens next? Is there a spot for you on the team afterwards? Could you go to a different team? Or because you couldn't try out, that tells the coaching staff that you can't play that year, and then it's all said and done. So it's, it's really challenging um, just because it's such a big jump, and there's a lot of risk involved, and there's a lot of pressure on these athletes too. Yeah, and it puts the kids, us, the coaches, in a tough situation because if we clear them and they get hurt, then – what was the point, you know, if they weren't ready and now is there, they got back to play three days of tryouts and they re-tear their ACL or tear their other side, that doesn't help anyone. Um, so I guess, you know, high school sports are competitive and we get it. And we're not saying that um, we should go to a, you know, everyone gets a medal and a ribbon. and uh, But these kids are also not pros, right? And like, there's still something about the high school sport experience that they might not be the best player on the team. They might not help your team make a state championship, but this also is in their career. They have a lives in their lives in front of them. And there's a lot that they can learn by, by being part of a team and being uh, a part of it. And I don't think it's always fair to ask them to like make a choice between man, putting yourself at risk to go through this whole, you know, they've been, you know, bleeding, sweating, crying um, for nine to 12 months to put it at risk when they're not fully ready or you can't play and you can't be a part of our team. And it just is really hard because oftentimes for them, this trial was their big goal, like that they're trying to get back for. 
So as a, as a coach, if you are listening to this at all, I just would ask yourself to ask yourself a question of like, what is your trial process? And is there something that you would be able to modify your trial process to allow some level of flexibility for these kids or to allow them to, you know, not participate in tryouts and then start practicing with a lower level team with the opportunity to somehow find a way to earn themselves back up to a team later in the season um, and have some set of criteria that it's still earned, it's deserved, it's not just given, given, handed out to them. But can you find a way to be somewhat flexible to allow these kids to show you what they're capable of and where they fit in their in your team and your organization, even if they miss that tryout day uh, or can't fully participate, can only do individual skills and they can't play five on five, right? Can you find some way to identify talent and allow these kids to work into your system without having it be so black and white of you participate in all of tryouts or you don't play for me? Um, because that's just a really, really tough situation for everyone and, um, and really hard on these kids. Mm-hmm. And you never know. Athletes can develop like crazy in one off season from one to the next. And even if they weren't the absolute stellar person on the team prior because they had an injury, you never know what they could turn out to be. So if you allow that flexibility, you never know what could surprise you too. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these kids that I end up working with, like they are hard workers. If they've worked their butt off for a year, if it's their second one, that's two years worth of rehab. It takes a lot of work and dedication to get through that. If they can do that, I'm sure they're going to have success on a sport team too. Whether they're not the most talented, but they can show up, they can set an example for what it means to really work hard and be dedicated to it. They're going to have value. I can almost promise that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just a, a interesting question. If you're listening to this, I just, I'm, you know, maybe there's no way around this, but I just would, I'd ask you to at least consider it, you know, think about what could you modify to, to at least allow these kids to, to get involved, to get the benefits of high school sports. Um, you know, it's still for fun. They're still amateurs. Uh, most of them are not going to be pros and we know that they know that, you know, that, um, but there's so many other benefits. So, okay. Last one. I want to make sure that the coaches don't feel like we're putting this on them because really it's not on them. Um, the way that we talk about it is it should be a team approach. And, um, you know, ultimately it's the team's responsibility to advise the coaches on a lot of these things. So kind of mentioned it at the very beginning, but who should be on this team? Um, and who can these coaches rely on so that they're not, you know, having to be put into making these decisions or even like those questions about what should you ask about clearance? Like, Ideally, the coach isn't even in that mm-hmm. spot to have to ask those questions. Like, hopefully, they've got a support system around them that can help them through these situations. Mm-hmm. So, who who would you recommend kind of should be involved with these return to play decisions? Yep. So it's always the athlete. It's the athlete's family because most of these are kids, so the parents want to be very involved. Um, it's going to be the surgeon. You want to make sure that they have medical clearance from the surgeon. And then it's the rehab professional that's working with them too, whether that's a physical therapist, the athletic trainer, potentially both, or hopefully both, um, strength and conditioning coach, and then you, the sport coach too. Um, and if you feel as a sport coach that the athlete didn't get one end of that team very well fit, well, then it can be your job or 
yeah, I guess job to somewhat screen that and best help the athlete too and help you ultimately so you don't feel like the responsibility is on you because like you said, it doesn't have to be nor should it be. So if they haven't had that team approach, if you can have some references around you that you could refer them to to help you help them, well then that's even better too because each of us have our own niche that we're trying to help that athlete with and without another person that is going to be a little bit of a gap. Um, I'm not going to be great at clearing someone to fully get on the court because I'm not there per se. Like they may be physically ready and I cleared them. But if you watch them at practice and they just aren't ready to get game minutes, well, that's your decision. You're going to be the best one to decide that. Um, just like the surgeon is going to have a way better idea than me of figuring out whether they are medically cleared or not. Because I'm not the one who's going in looking at the image necessarily. Um, but what our role is as rehab professionals is to make sure that physically, mentally, as best they can, that they are cleared and ready to play at these certain circumstances. And it's the details that each individual fits in those. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think it's just really important to kind of ask around, build a network of people um, that do a lot of this rehab and, and specialize in it and really specialize in the late stage stuff that can give you advice, look for resources. Um, we've created a bunch that kind of walk through our ACL process. We've been very open with how we think this should go with giving return to sport um, ideas and things. So look for resources online, connect with, with people in the area and try to build a team for yourself. And then um, hopefully if you can steer athletes in a direction of people that are great at this, that that's awesome and be the best case. If not, at least you could have some friends or, or a network of people that you could bounce some of this stuff off of. Like, hey, I've got this kid that came in and told me he was cleared, but like he literally hasn't run. And now they're saying just go for eight months. He hasn't done any basketball stuff. And they're saying go into a game this weekend. Does that sound right? Like find those resources, build that team. Um, I think if we all work together, we will have way better outcomes and it will result in much better um, lifelong wellness and performance from these kids, not just for one game, one season, but um, if they want to play club basketball or club soccer, or maybe they are a D1 type kid that could get a scholarship, or maybe they just want to get back to play for fun and have a great senior season. We can help these kids accomplish their goals and keep their best interests at heart. So I think we kind of hit this pretty well. Hopefully uh, this opens up the world and maybe some questions and some awareness around this return to play process and give you guys some resources that you can use some questions to ask um, going forward to try to help these kids kids more and result in better outcomes for them for your teams for your athletes in the long run um, and if you have any questions we would love to chat with you more you can find out information on our website www.kineticsmp.com um, we are very active on social media all of our handles are at kinetic underscore smp and then um, you can also just email us, contact us through that website as well. Um, phone call to the office. Brett and I are more than happy to chat with you about anything that we can do to support your athletes or yourselves um, as you go through these sometimes challenging, challenging times and challenging decisions with these kids. So, um, Brett, thank you for sharing your recent experiences and expertise in this. Hopefully, hopefully people get a lot out of this. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dr. Michael here. I want to say a sincere thank you for taking the time to listen to that episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. Dr. Brett, Lauren, and I are all extremely passionate about this podcast and trying to use it to help share high quality, factual information 
and debunk some of the common myths and misconceptions that we see around athletic performance and rehabilitation. If you have a minute, we would sincerely appreciate you taking the time to leave a rating and review on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a teammate, coach, or colleague who you think may benefit. We want as many people to be able to hear and listen to this information as possible. Lastly, if you are on social media, head over to our page at MKE Sports Podcast or at kinetic underscore SMP to follow us so that you get all the latest information. We love to engage, so leave a comment on this podcast, tell us what you learned, or feel free to ask us a question. We sincerely appreciate all of the support, and we look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode.